listening to The Moving Project. Welcome, welcome to The Moving Project. Uh, we're really happy to have you back today. And I'm presenting today with Gina. Hello, Gina. How are you doing? Hello, everyone. My name is Gina. Thank you again for inviting me. I really enjoy being here and to be able to exchange the information that I have learned by myself, but also to learn more from my child. Thank you. That's my pleasure. And we have Rasha. Hello, Rasha. How are you doing? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Rasha, and I'm uh, very happy to be here once again. So Today, we are covering the new territories that are located in the north of Canada, the territories of Canada. Um, how many territories there is, uh, Gina? There's actually three in total. So Northwest Territories, the Yukon, and Nunavut. Excellent. And what's particular about, about those territories? They're located in the north, and I understand they're really big territories. Yes, actually, they do occupy 40% of Canada's landmass. However, they represent approximately only 3% of the Canadian population. So very, very small population, most probably because of its uh, harsh conditions. Yeah, no, absolutely. If we consider that there's about 38 million people living in Canada, um, 3% would represent barely a million people. Like we're talking about maybe half a million or 600,000 people. Very small populations for the entire land. And, and it's a very harsh climate over there, which explains why there's less people. But because we're talking about immigration, I think this is very important to mention. For people that would want to go there, I always say if there's less people, there's more opportunities. And because there's more to be done. And that's why we're really happy to present you those programs that we believe are really relevant uh, when you cover the entire immigration policies in Canada and the opportunities of immigrating to Canada. Talk to us a little bit about the, the way those territories are governed and the way it works. I just wanted to mention quickly, like just like Mike Shad has said previously, that because there's not a lot of people because of the harsh conditions, the social and economic realities linked to those harsh situations. A significant portion of the territory's financial resources do come from the federal government through a transfer program known as the Territorial Formula Financing. So it's really a program to, to give those territorial residents access to a range of public services comparable to those offered by the provincial governments. So I think this is a point that is very important to mention, especially that now in this podcast, we're talking about PNPs. And also just a fun fact, a little difference between a province and a territory is that a province receives its power and authority from the Constitution Act of 1867. <laughs> The territories exercise delegated powers under the authorities of the Parliament of Canada. That's a really nice discussion about the Constitution's Act that divide power between provinces and the federal government. But obviously, territories don't have the full power that a normal province would have. And um, it comes also because there's a lot of First Nations that are living in those territories. And those are all under federal traditions um, in terms of financing and, and services provide. So that makes sense to have those territories organized in that sense. Um, so there's a double, double reasons for it. So very good clarification, Gina. Thank you. I think that would be a good time to explain a little bit about each territories. 
Absolutely. Before we get started, I want to take this out of the way. Nunavut don't have any programs. Is it correct? Yes, it is. So most likely we need we need to know that Nunavut is a new territories, like new, new territories that it joined the, 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 the Canadian federations not a long time ago. And being relatively new, very few people live there. Huge territory, very harsh climate mainly First Nation, Inuit, on that territory. So they didn't have the will to organize the PNP programs. Um, we will focus on Yukon and new territories. They both have a PNP programs, few distinctions. So what I would like to do with you, Gina and Rasha, give me a little bit of the difference between Yukon and, and territories. Yes. So Yukon is a very attractive place to do business for many reasons. Not only their modern and progressive business environment, but also there are substantial government incentives that I have mentioned previously because of the harsh situation. And also, it's important to not forget that Yukon has a very pristine nature, flowing rivers, high mountains, deep forests, and glacial lakes. So just to give you a fun fact, did you know that Yukon is home to Canada's highest and North America's second highest peak Mount Logan, standing at 5,959 meters. Mount Logan also includes a massive of 11 peaks, which are all over 5,000 meters. Several teams have even managed to climb this peak to this day. And I think my child has mentioned in the previous episode that your brother is also a... Um, Mountain a climb climber. And climber. He, he was mentioning before that... Uh, Mount Logan is quite of a challenge, even though it's only at 6,000 meters or just under 6,000 meters. Um, because of the climate, the harsh climate there, it's quite of a mountain and there's many summits there, as you mentioned, there's 11 peaks. And it's quite a challenge to, to climb it, even though you have less of the oxygen problem there because it's under 6,000 meters, but uh, the, the climate make it very harsh. And it's a good representation. It's important to mention that we, we said it earlier um, the territories will have harsh climate. It's not um, a place easy to live, but there's many opportunities in terms of business. So let's go back to um, what would do a good business person um, to apply for this program. First of all, they're going to be looking for, especially in Yukon, for someone with around half a million dollars of net assets and a minimum of $300,000 of liquid assets. And what do we mean by liquid assets like cash, bonds, financial products that will really be the type of assets that you can easily liquidate, transfer to Yukon or ter territories of uh, the new territories and, and really start your business. They want to make sure that people have the seriousness to start a business. They want the money to be available, not house or companies that are difficult to liquidate before you come to Yukon. Gina, you need to live there permanently. Is it correct? Yes, you do have to express your intent to live permanently in Yukon because there's actually not a lot of people in Yukon. That's why they want to attract most people and they want them to stay in the Yukon. So that's why they also have another criteria for these applicants, which is to have no active application for any other provincial or territorial nominee program. Exactly, because Yukon and the new territories PNP was often used by agents of immigrations around the world with a backup plan or a plan B, and then they were just submitting the application. But 
the applicant didn't really have the intent to go and then it was not serious. And then they were using the resources of the organization that reviewed those applications. So that was not good for the real applicant that really wants to go. So that's an important aspect. It's very important that you withdraw from other provinces if you intend to go to these programs. Anything missing? Yes, I I think one of the things that's kind of important to mention is actually the level of English or the your level of speech in French or not only speech, but like talking, writing, uh, reading. So in Yukon, they actually asked for a level six in English and a level four in French. So relatively high for English, but relatively low for French. Exact. And that's really interesting. Um, they really want people to be able to be conversational. Um, it's going to be difficult. There's not big community of new immigrants there. For example, um, um, if you don't speak English, it would be difficult to run a business in those those regions. Where if you have lower English in other places in Canada, it might be easier a little bit. But generally speaking, the PNP program have put the bar quite high in terms of English and obviously French um, to be able to apply for those programs. And the reason for this is very simple in, in, the, in the sense that it's really helped people to start run a business if you speak the local language, which is English and French across Canada. Um, they don't want to limit entrepreneurs to come if they don't have perfect languages, but they want a minimum that would allow them to succeed in doing business. Uh, reading regulations, reading business rules and customs is very important. I want to discuss a little bit, guys, about the type of industries or the strategic sector that was singled out by the territories in order to uh, welcome people to do business in in the new territories. And so can you tell me a little bit more about the the industries that are allowed to do business? Yes, it would be my pleasure. Actually, Yukon are looking for new businesses or a purchase of an existing business, which the entrepreneur has the intention to manage by himself or herself. So one of the strategic sector that Yukon is looking for is like information technology, manufacturing, value added processing, but more importantly, like forestry, tourism products, attraction, services, energy mining or mineral mining development, I think, which I had mentioned briefly in the other version of this episode, in the French version, actually, that Yukon are, do have like gold mines or like diamond mines. And there's also agriculture, cultural industries, film and video productions. These are all sectors that could be. Yeah, there's a bit of wishful thinking in in all that list. There's no doubt about that. And it's important to mention that, you know, like if someone would, claim to go to the new territory or um, to Yukon and say, how will start a diamond mine? You need to know what you're doing. It's not everybody that can say, hey, let's go there and do that. So we need to be honest with the applicant that this this is going to be looked seriously by the app, by the government. And the business plan needs to make sense. Not everybody can do uh, mining research and, and explorations. It, there needs to be an expertise behind there needs to be experience in that industry to make sense. Uh, same thing for, for any of those mentioned industries. Um, this is what is needed there. This is what the government locally will be looking at to make sure that they're attracting businesses that make sense. Uh, tourism would be probably the most realistic one in all that list that is easy to start with the amount required 
um, in terms of minimum investment. Rashad, do you think we're missing something here? No, I just wanted to mention something about the mining. As you mentioned in the French version of this episode, because of the climate change, the gold and diamonds and everything, it will be more visible now. So there are more opportunities for business man or business woman to visit the visit Yukon or Northwest Territory and explore it. Yes, that's actually true. And one one of the things as well from the, the West Territories that is required is to visit, to do an exploratory trip prior to applying. And uh, the Northwest Territories, is, is a requ- they have added the requirements of visiting the territories in order to qualify for the programs. That's very important. What would be the minimum investment required even though I'm very skeptical of, of the minimum requirements, for example, mining industries or forestry, I want you to, re, to, to give me a better sense of what is required in terms of um, the minimum investment, especially in the, in the Northwest Territories. So we're looking, if, if we're looking at Yellowknife, for example, what would be the minimum investment for Yellowknife investment? Which Yellowknife, we need to mention, is the capital of the Northwest Territories. Yes. I think it's also important to mention that there is a difference between an entrepreneur who wants to acquire or start a business in Yellowknife versus an entrepreneur who wants to start a business or acquire a business outside of Yellowknife. So if it's inside of Yellowknife, the minimum investment would be $300,000. And if it's outside of Yellowknife, it will be half of it. So $150,000. And this is for this is the reason that I mentioned that it's there's there's a reality check aspect to it, where doing business in the north is more expensive than doing business in the south because you need to carry a lot of material by plane. The employees are not that available as well, so it's important that when we prepare the business plan, we take in consideration all those local aspects of the cost of doing business in the north. So it's very important that we highlight that those amount are actually a minimum and only few industries will allow such a minimum investment to do a profitable or successful business. Um, so I thought it was important to mention that. Gina, is, those programs are still open or what's the status of yes. this? Yes, so the program in Yukon and Northwest Territories, both of them are open. But I think we also forgot to mention that one of the criteria for the Northwest Territories does um, want that the entrepreneur demonstrate that they own one third of the business. I think that's an important criteria that we have to mention. Correct. Correct. Unless the investment in shares would be more than $1 million, uh, we could think about mining businesses where this huge amount of investment that is required and the applicant could have less than 33%, but still make an investment of more than $1 million and be qualified. So that's the type of investment that could be very interesting to look into for the North PNP um, of Yukon and Northwest Territories. So there is potential business. Uh, We need to think a little bit out of the box for those because of the climate, because of the distance that separate them from big center in Canada. I think that's a wrap. Uh, It's a good coverage of those two programs that are quite special and uh, can allow us to help 
new business people to move to Canada. And one thing maybe we could close on this is that it could be a commitment that you do for coming to Canada. But once you get your resident, your permanent resident card, you could explore other cities in Canada and allow you to move around and, and go establish yourself elsewhere after you have run your business for, for a few years. So thank you very much, Gina. Thank you very much, Rasha, for joining us today. And um, we will see you soon for another episode of The Moving Project. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.